Welcome to Marginally Fanish, a show where we aim an intersectional lens at some of our favorite media and their fandoms. My name is Padinita Shetty and you're listening to the 19th episode of Marginally Fanish. In this episode, Aparna Sanjana and I chat about different representations of genders, gender identities and gender expressions in media, fandom and the real world. We discuss some difficult issues related to depression, suicide and sexual violence. So please consider this a content warning. In mainstream media and popular culture, women's representations can be quite limited. Stories about women frequently end up catering to the dominant gaze, full of tropes and stereotypes or examples which exceptionalize. Such representations offer limited conceptions of being a person in the world. If you consider intersections of other identities within gender, the situation is even starker. Moreover, discussions of women's rights, equality and representation can result in very narrow views of who should be included and who should be excluded. Much like with intersectional feminism, representations in media need to be inclusive of different identities, not just the most privileged within the marginalized group. Of course, accepting and demanding difference doesn't always come easily. Unlearning ideas that you've been socially conditioned into requires an active effort and is quite realistically a lifelong ongoing process. Critical and intersectional discussions in fandom and social media provide access to a diversity of experiences. This can help disrupt ideas that were previously taken for granted and draw attention to new ways of thinking about stories and the world. Once this critical gaze is unlocked, it's difficult to put it away. Find our conversations about all this and more in today's episode. Happy listening. I'm Aparna and I'm Sanjana and today in this episode we are going to discuss gender, gender identity and gender expression in some of our favorite fandoms and pop culture in general. When I was researching for this episode I came across this article in the New York Times written by Britt Marling and I'm going to quote directly from it because I thought that it encompassed what we wanted to talk about. The article was about basically her journey in the industry and her journey to becoming an actor. She is now recently written and starred in a show on Netflix called The OA, if I'm not mistaken. She started off with, you know, the kind of roles that she would get to audition for and how that hit very badly to how she would look at herself. It was basically talking about the strong female lead and what it meant to her and how that has been skewed. So I'm going to just quote two things from that article before we start. She writes, it would be hard to deny that there is nutrition to be drawn from any narrative that gives women agency and voice in a world where they are most often without both. But the more that I acted the strong female lead, the more I became aware of the narrow specificity of the character's strengths, physical prowess, linear ambition, focused rationality and masculine modalities of power. When we kill women in our stories, we aren't just annihilating female gendered bodies, we are annihilating the feminine as a force wherever it resides and in women, in men or in the natural world in general. Because what we really mean when we say we want strong female leads is give me a man in the body of a woman that I want to still see naked. 
And so I was just going back and looking at some of our main leads that we've loved. So what do you guys think? How has been like the representation of females in some of our favorite media? I mean, so, the Star Wars syndrome, right? It's not been a fandom I've really been a part of. And I don't think I would consider myself a part of that fandom. It has such a huge fandom that I felt like I needed to watch it to, you know, know things, I guess. <laughs> and that's something that, I don't know, if I would have watched when I was younger, when I wasn't thinking critically about these things, I don't know if I would have noticed that. But now, as like I've been watching it over this last year, that's been my pandemic companion. And... I've noticed that so much in terms of like the women just seem to be there to represent men in a female body and also this exceptionalizing of oh I'm not like the other girls there can only be one of me because all yeah. the other women are like this. Yeah absolutely. Yeah. So I very much fell into that trap of the strong female lead. First before that whatever I remember reading growing up the characters that I wanted to be happened to be the boy characters in the books because they were just having more fun and they were just had the best lines and they were doing the most interesting things so I would quite easily identify with them the most or want to be like them and when I grew up slightly more I very much fell into the strong female lead trap in, in like shows like Buffy where it's not just a female character it's the female character you know how she's the center of all of the action and she's more than what anyone else around is even though she was a flawed character and it was a very three-dimensional character but just the fact that one woman was at the center of this entire thing was very fascinating to me especially after growing up not reading all of this but now I'm realizing that I am drawn towards shows that have a cast of female characters. Shows like Glow or The Good Fight or Steven Universe. Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, Broad City, Fleabag, Steven Universe. Even Jane the Virgin. We really enjoyed the relationships between women because these are the things I feel we were a bit starved of when we were growing up. And so these are the things that now I'm coming around to appreciating the most when it comes to seeing female characters in pop culture. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Even like I also same thing I fell for, you know, the boy character or like George in the famous five who wanted to be a boy because had more fun and Even like recently, Wonder Woman, you know, as much as I loved that movie, I think we've spoken about this either the three of us or I've spoken about it with other people as well on the podcast, where I loved the movie so much, but it is just her, apart from her time on the island and then she leaves like that's, you know, at the background and then all her relationships are with men. Or with one man and like the other sort of villains and things. And there isn't a community of women where from real life experiences we know that we need a community of women. We can't just be the one woman. Like how how horrible would that life be? Exactly. No, and as we started watching a lot more of these shows that had so many women characters interacting with each other, even not just as friends, but even otherwise, like as people from different sides of the point, but both female characters was a lot more enriching to watch and to see than watching that one female in the middle. Exactly. And while acknowledging that we've come a long way from the years where it took three separate Spider-Men before we got one Wonder Woman, things are definitely changing. But 
to ensure that we don't go through this entire process of demanding and looking for and waiting for the right representation we need to make sure as a community as a society that when we finally do reach the point of equal representation we are not doing it alone like we are representing all genders and we have to have positive representations of dalit and adivasi women women of color rural women poor women and we have to acknowledge that we share our space of marginalization with so many other identities and while seeking fair representation for ourselves this needs to be something that is as important as our own representation otherwise we'll just get stuck in okay now what's next on the list and let's get representation for that figure yeah is that something that i've been thinking of just because i'm rereading the harry potter books now and while i was reading them for the first time like you know i was not really reading it critically i was just reading it for fun so i loved a lot or most of the things that i read whereas now that i'm reading it with a more critical lens informed by all the discussions that have been happening in fandom so one of the things that people talk about a lot is hermione and her sort of white feminism when it comes with the house elves yeah. or in like an indian context it would be savarna feminism or you know brahmin feminism which is looking at only at a specific kind of experience so in terms of hermione basically she wants to help liberate the house elves from their oppression and the house Elves are oppressed, like the wizards and witches treat anybody who is not human terribly, but especially house elves because they're literally like you know tied to their masters, which in itself is like a dubious <laughs> word which I never picked up on earlier. But at the same time, all the stuff that she does, her activism, everything is completely mocked and dismissed by everybody because yeah. everyone has so bought into the status quo that they're like, no, 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 house elves like. being servants without pay so like slaves they're very happy they would be lost they would have no identity and everything without the work which okay. is true but you need to educate houses as well about and you need to learn from them she has a very imperialist sort of savior complex where she is going in and she's like oh i know everything there is to know about this culture that i've just discovered two days ago <laughs> and i'm going to be telling them what to do and if they don't listen to me because they obviously don't i know better than them i'm going to trick them into you know by leaving yeah knitted socks and hats and i'm going to set them free because that's what a good feminist does <laughs> Yeah, I was reading some article in which I think this thing about you know that we we are being bad feminists because like we would rather have like a great body for thing and we are putting like the way we look above the way our mind works and so we are being bad feminists. It's just that that space to allow everyone to be you know. to embrace whatever part of like femininity they have to exist in that and then still be feminists enough is also what is important yeah because you always find reasons why a woman is doing womaning wrong like you know that yeah, always that depending on your social context like if you're in the west or in the uk or in a developed society there's something else if you're in india if you're in the city it's something else if you're in the village it's something else and that's of course like if you're a cisgender woman which comes with its own set of privileges where you know if you're like trans or non binary it just gets so much worse like with everything all the intersection like you know any sort of identity yeah. that you add 
yeah. it usually ends up getting worse especially if you're a woman and yeah. this kind of limited feminism like the hermione brand of feminism i guess <laughs> even though i love hermione a lot but jk rowling identifies herself as hermione so you can see where that limited version of feminism is coming from but that's the sort of feminism that leads to transphobia right like you're looking at trans women as not real women so yeah. your definition of feminism only includes a certain group of women but then i'm sure that like specifically in the west i'm talking about what would they think of for example women of color or you know women with disabilities or like any sort of identity because i remember recently reading about this so in the black lives matter protests that are happening in the us mm. in one group a bunch of turfs like mm. trans exclusionary radical mm. feminists they tried to co-opt the movement and basically they tried to make it about anti trans sort of sentiments i'm not mm-hmm. sure of the exact details but yeah for them gender is more important than other identities that it should be like all your identities matter it shouldn't exactly. be and you can't fact, separate yeah and the fact that seeing other people's rights as a threat to your rights is just such a narrow minded view of equality or of representation in general i was reading this very heartbreaking but beautifully written article by a transgender fan who's a transgender woman a fan of harry potter and her response to what's going on saying that i understand why she feels threatened but what about my rights and then she starts comparing how harry potter she saw it as a metaphor for her gender identity because how when he enters the visiting world is finally where even though there are problems there he finally feels like himself whereas when he's in the muggle world he never felt understood and how she saw that as a parallel to her own experience that finally when she figured out her identities when she felt like she'd found her hogwarts so to speak and then to read things like we recently discovered which is something that despite sanna's awesome memory she had forgotten that there's this bit in harry potter where girls are allowed in the boys dormitories yeah. but when the boys try to go to the girls dormitory the staircase turns into a slide so this very specific changing room phobia that jk rowling has i mean there were clues even in the earlier harry potter books Yeah for sure and even like you know the very limited ideas of gender itself in the book this is something that i wouldn't have picked up on because yeah. of the limits of my experiences yeah, as well. like you know as a cis woman it's really easy to be ignorant of this but then yeah. there is like a difference between ignorance and malice because you can be ignorant and teach yourself these things that are beyond your experiences because so yeah, many yeah. things are beyond our experiences but then to like be confronted with difference and decide that oh no this difference is a threat to me and like we should just throw them under the bus even if you're that selfish it's still going to come and hurt you in the end because the people at the top are just going to whittle down the opposition one by one by turning you know different marginalized groups against each other because of this idea that there's a very finite amount of rights only one group can have exactly. all the rights oh it's really frustrating mm-hmm. and harry potter like the more you see and even for that matter doctor who like again another thing that i'm rewatching now just you know to inform the project the women how they are represented there is also quite limited in terms of what roles they can play what they look like and what the doctor looks like like jodie is progress now but it took how many years for that to happen yeah, exactly 
Yeah, absolutely. And all of this stems from just a complete erasure or misrepresentation of these identities in our media. We heard this podcast episode of Breaking the Glass Slipper where they were talking about the erasure of trans people from history or from popular culture and like the statues have been torn down and things like that. And it's true for so many other identities like in India, it's true for so many like Dalit, Adivasi, women, a lot of smaller sections of the Indian society have been completely glossed over. Their contributions to the freedom struggle have been completely glossed over. So nobody gets to read about them. There is a very limited idea of what these people, of what all of these identities mean or stand for. One more thing that they said in that episode was that it's okay if we have limited representation, but we want to have good representation and how like quality mattered more than quantity and that is so true especially in India where we've seen the depiction of transgender people in Bollywood as being these awful caricature depictions which were treated as punchlines and it takes a lot of unlearning to yeah no Absolutely no, when because when you said that, you know, talking about our encounters and understanding of transness and transphobia, it is an unlearning because until like embarrassingly late, our views were very, very narrow because the only source of knowing or even experiencing or, you know, relating to transness was through the Bollywood films that we watched and through how our parents reacted or, you know, when we would stop at a traffic signal or something and how we would see everybody's windows being rolled up. And it's just that view is what you form as you're growing up. And as I have realized is that when you're growing up, it really does take a lot of unlearning and a lot of reading to truly understand how wrong your view of such things are because it's not just this but a whole lot more popular culture plays such an important role in our lives that it just becomes this whole trope that you just buy into again and again because this is what you see not only in films but then you see it play out in real life at weddings in the north and stuff it's just made it a them versus us kind of a thing where it shouldn't have been from the very first place it's a lot of fixing that somebody has to do <laughs> in terms of like representing them you know just, just I mean like intersectional feminism just being an intersectional feminist is a lifelong ongoing process right there's never going to be an end point that oh you know everything you've unlearned everything you've learned yeah. everything there is so that's it my job is over because there's always going to be something new that you discover or a new identity that gains you know a more widespread sort of face in the mainstream conversation and mainstream media and everything yeah and truthfully it makes a difference just representation in a normalized way makes a difference because the more shows that we are watching together with the family as a whole the more normal it is to see a gay couple on screen or like see different people on screen and the comments within the room have become a lot more accepting of what they are seeing. It started off with, Are, again, Are, this has become a thing. And I'm just quoting from like family members only who probably don't read as much or haven't corrected their views. But the fact that they are being represented in such a normal way without making a big deal of it by not making it the token representation or just making yeah. it 
for normal is making a large difference to the way we've to the way everybody started viewing these things so it does make a difference to like consciously represent people a lot better in a bit like yeah, and like it's not just with trans representations like even that is quite limited like Cheryl Morgan in the transgender representation in SFF episode she was talking about how there's a cis gaze in media because a lot of cis writers tend to write about trans experiences there isn't still a huge number of trans writers in you know popular media mainstream media creating their own stories so we see even when the representations do exist and when they are trying to make it a point to represent it still falls into some tropes and stereotypes that a trans writer writing about themselves probably wouldn't have you know been yeah. obviously there's no monolithic trans experience just like there's no monolithic cis woman experience but yeah. just like Terrell mentioned I think that if you're representing trans people the focus tends to be on the transition process which mm-hmm. isn't something that trans trans writers or trans media creators themselves are really interested in focusing on because for them the transition is just them changing their outward appearance to match their inward sense of self and you know they're interested in exploring other aspects of their identity and even if like their identity itself is just a part of this whole complex version of themselves like you know you don't just want to focus on that like if i'm in the uk from india and if everybody just asked me about that about being an indian immigrant in the uk Okay, like that's not my like that's such a yeah. limited concept of being a person in the world exactly yeah and, yes and like it's the same with like dalit bahujan adivasi women as well right it's something that i've only recently started thinking about and just even there how they are represented in bollywood if you don't know people in real life that's where your sort of ideas are shaped by and the way that it's represented is so terrible like just now looking back and like you were saying it's the same with me it's such a process of unlearning because you don't even know what you don't know yeah like, exactly you know, if nobody's disrupting that idea if everyone around you thinks the same talks the same about other people as well yeah no i'm thinking about the fact that this is us who are actively reading and trying to yeah. get a hang of it this is us still battling what we've been learning which is why popular media plays so much of a role in the way we think because that is the fastest way we learned and that's probably the fastest way in which we'll unlearn everything as well or like yeah. a- a broader view of things and like feminism itself like you know when i was younger and even not that long ago until a couple of years ago my idea of women's rights and you know like they were still so exclusive of most other experiences not like like any yeah. sort of you know purposeful exclusion but just ignorance and yeah. like extrapolating my experience to everyone's experiences into everyone's world views so like coming back to harry potter just because that's something that we're looking at for the mm-hmm. episode and that's something that all three of us have grown up with and loved so much but now reading it as an adult and listening to some of these fan podcasts that we listen to i was listening to woke doc to who one of their recent episodes and they were talking about how much internalized misogyny there is in harry potter yes yeah and it's not something that you pick up on earlier i'm reading order of the phoenix currently there's a lot of problems in that book it's my favorite harry potter book but in terms of representations there's like a lot to unpack there there's just like a very basic thing i you know realized that the insults were so gendered 
the women and girls are like insulted by their looks aunt petunia she is described as having horsey teeth and pansy parkinson is always described as having a pug face mm. but men and boys they are like fat and dumb so you know their intelligence is sort of vilified so like dudley yeah. or crab or goyle they are like oh they're so stupid and oh they you know they're fat but girls it's always look it's a very basic thing but that's how things build right like from the most basic things you build up on like more and more yeah. um, terrible no, like and- so like you're talking about women being described i came across an article which was talking about the portrayal of female professors in hogwarts and how they are also described very physically with their physical traits like mcgonagall is someone who can transform into a cat and like does these great things but then she's described with special attention to her appearance with like beady eyes and her stern expression and her shrill voice and the fact that she wants the quidditch team to like succeed and like she's doing that is mocked that part is made fun of even trilony who is you know made fun of with the way she looks professor sprout also is defined not by her skill or anything but by how she looks like she's dumpy and trilony is bug like so it's just very something that i didn't even pay attention to this is how all the like the female professors are even umbridge so because order of the phoenix umbridge is like you know yeah. the big bad here i was just like based on you know that woke talk to who episodes i was paying more attention to how people are described and how women are described and umbridge it's almost so like you know even now a lot of fans including me tend to hate umbridge with more loathing than they hate voldemort you know yeah. because yeah. and so when i was reading i was trying to unpack why and it's just that the narrative positions her so much more intimately and in the way that she's described in the way that you know all her vile things and vile attitudes and vile behavior the way that they are described go into so much more depth and so much mm-hmm. more you know like you see the horror so much more nakedly whereas with Voldemort it's more macro level you know villainy it's more yeah. like oh i hate all mudbloods and i hate all muggles like let's kill everybody whereas umbridge you can actually see how and like i understand why you know you see that because you're seeing a fascist takeover of hogwarts in minuscule and then you see the whole visiting community being taken over like that but it's so easy to you know like villainize women by calling them ugly because she's called toad like and ugly mm. but also the fact that she is aggressively feminine so you know she likes yes. the kittens the bows and the fluffy pink cardigans that yeah. like described it's such a like oh my god foul way like why why is it and he was like parvati and lavender right. like fun of it and they are the feminine sort of you know students in the school yeah, yeah but this extends to many of the other girls in the book who are not hermione or who are looked at from hermione's point of view and how they are always giggling and they are always in a group and they are always drawing hearts and things like that it's such an overreaction to oh girly things and girls are only given girly things and pink is only for girls and then it's tilted to this complete extreme like if you want to be taken seriously you cannot like any of these things anymore you have to like rise above all these girls yeah things. not going into the point that lavender also joined dumbledore's army yeah. she also fought at the battle of hogwarts she died she died right she, I, I, she died in the movie in the book we still yeah, not very she sure she's not her. sure like there was one place that described her as being reduced to point plot point that to increase the sexual desire around a man like she was put there just so that we found ron a little bit more like worth 
looking second second glance <laughs> that it's just it was the saddest sentence ever <laughs> Yeah, because no, and Rod, he just uses lavender. Yeah, and Ron is insecure, and he wants to make her mind jealous. Yeah, no, yeah. Ron is a completely different topic of on misogyny. Yeah. But I would like to bring up Molly Weasley and the misogyny that lies there in oh, yeah. many parts. One of the episodes that we were listening to mentioned like the whole like Fleur versus Molly. We- Molly Weasley and how they keep making fun of her. Like they're not at all welcoming. I would not be like to marry into that family. I know. <laughs> like seriously, imagine she's being like this Indian daughter-in-law staying with yes. her family in this foreign country. And, and she's, she's a big ass person. Like she is. She, yeah, she, she was in the trailer too. Exactly. Man. But again, this is something that the narrative, it positions you as you're not looking out for the tricks in the narrative or you're yeah. not, you know, like looking at it you critically. Yeah, you fall for it. So you are also like, oh, Fleur, what? We yeah. all did. In fact, one place I read that Molly Weasley, Molly was very, uh, Mrs. Weasley, I'm going to call her. <laughs> the I'm looking for her, but I that she do full name her. And she called her Molly and she was very uncomfortable <laughs> calling Molly <laughs> by her first name. <laughs> Molly auntie. <laughs> <laughs> Molly auntie. All right. So Molly auntie was very, very <laughs> unforgiving to Hermione. And this I completely forgot or didn't pay even a second glance uh-huh. to. In the fourth book when Rita Skeeter is spewing all kinds of things and she writes about Hermione like breaking Harry's heart. That Christmas, Ron and Harry get good-sized packages but oh. she gets a minuscule like tiny package from Molly Weasley because it has not... Molly Weasley again, I full named her. But <laughs> Molly auntie is very mean to her. One, it was not true. But even if it was true, Hermione doesn't deserve to be punished for that. It's her it wish to date. It's her thing in yes. media of I have been victimized by being rejected. Yeah, by a woman, and it is just so present everywhere that oh, uh, like in friends. Yeah, and we don't even look at it the second time unless we are like trying to now dissect it. But I when I was reading it, I didn't even like. I thought, ha, ठीक है, it was okay, but but <laughs> it's not. It's not no. at all okay, Molly Weasley. It's not at all. <laughs> like in which case, uh, what did Marcel say? That who do you think is a better feminist, Molly or Hedwig? And they chose yeah. Hedwig. And as more I read about Molly, I mean, she redeemed herself in the end with that great battle. But I'm saying she had many like underlying, like maybe internalized stuff that society tells you this is the place for. Yeah, because she's also a victim, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, violence reproducing violence, not like physical, but psychological. Real life. Like I've seen this, like women telling me, but it is so internalized that it is hard to have a conversation and trying to like uh, you know tell them that no this is not okay you don't deserve this but women have been told that this is what they deserve and so well i know that you know patriarchy is this global institution it affects people differently in different parts but like india is so much more patriarchal i feel than a lot of you know the west so the problems that we are going through in india Sometimes it like I can imagine how it must feel for people for, for women from rural backgrounds and Dalit Adivasi Bahujan backgrounds when we in the cities are talking about our problems because that's what it feels to me sometimes when people yeah. and women in the West are talking about their problems. Yeah. I'm like, you guys have it so much better than me. <laughs> I don't even I can't even go out on the street wearing a pair of shorts because it's hot without you know worrying whether I'm going to be raped or not. Yeah, but this is. 
we are saying it so like casually but this is the truth this yeah? is the truth i had he <laughs> laugh about it because otherwise you'll cry i i started panicking at the back of a cab ride once because mm-hmm. he wanted to relieve himself is all poor fellow his bladder was bursting but <laughs> i imagine all sorts of evil things coming from him because because yeah because no i mean even this weekend i went i decided that i needed some you know for mental well-being purposes needed to go on a long walk so i went on this trail near my house which is like the 16 kilometer long trail so it was a bit of an overkill but at some points it was very deserted so you know i could have died i, I could have been murdered by the men walking <laughs> on the trail sometimes i was making all these different plans and backup plans for what i would do in case somebody it's like you know when we the first time the, the three of us traveled together and yes, we were exactly where we had to pick up a stone just to feel safe yeah not that the stone would have done anything against the like the five, six men who were trying to like follow us but they were just doing it for kicks my yeah. point is that they were just doing it for kicks because they also because they've been told that this is normal behavior it's and like why should women feel safe they don't like they don't deserve to share the same space as you it is our space so like yeah. you know we can terrorize them by just yeah. following them drunkenly on a narrow yeah. cliff and the fact that we've been also told to respect a woman if she's like taken for example like if you're wearing a ring and you are out in a pub and somebody wants to like you know is trying to flirt with you the only reason that they will back off and i don't use this unless i am absolutely pushed to a corner to use it because i don't want to use a fact that i'm married or something to get out of a situation but the fact that men would rather respect this man that they've never met than the woman's wishes in front of them and respect the fact that you oh, you're married that means i should back off so they are basically respecting this make believe man that i've made up yeah because like if you live in a patriarchal society and you are already marginalized you use the tools that you're given to be safe exactly. right my mom does the same thing because so she's been divorced for what since i was 13 so like 17 years now and she's like you know she goes out and works and she's out and about all day most days in mumbai and mumbai is still one of the safer cities considerably yeah. compared to the rest of india but she also wears a mangal sutra around her neck which signifies that she's a married woman even though she's not and it's something that is spoken about but that makes her feel safe and yeah. sometimes that will that does that and sometimes it doesn't sometimes yeah. men just sometimes, men all over the place yeah, but yeah. but similarly when you compare like it's such a process of learning for me like i was reading an article about how women are celebrating the fact that some companies are firstly i would just like to interrupt this to say that sanna's husband is not made up this <laughs> just, just sure it had been bugging me so i want <laughs> <laughs> Listen when this happened we were just engaged but I called him husband it was easier to just saying the whole like I'm engaged to be married and so okay okay yeah. at to that get... time he was made up he was made up <laughs> in, in the sense to get back to my point is I was reading an article about how women are very happy that some companies in India I think are giving menstruation leave like a two day leave or something to women every month and how it was being celebrated and when you compare it to the same situation for say a dalit woman and how they would not miss a day of work even if they were given it and if they had access to say sanitary napkins they would probably sell them to like provide for their family 
and things like that and during the whole thing about women who wanted to get into the but being denied access to the which temple was it the, the Sabrimala temple yeah when they were on their period and how it compares to how so many women so say Dalit women or many women from disadvantaged backgrounds are they're not allowed ever into those temples and how we have these small victories that it feels odd to celebrate them when there is such a difference between our experiences and so many other experiences yeah you know i'm very like it's such a complex topic for me just because when you were saying that i was thinking of how exhausting the world is and how you sometimes just do need to celebrate even the tiniest of you know victories if you can call it or the tiniest of things like at the same time you're aware of how unequal the society is because you can't separate gender from all the other identities you inhabit so like class and you know caste and religion and whatever and it's just it's such a two-sided thing that you are aware of these terrible things But then if you never take the time to see how far you've come or see the sort of progress that you're making, even if it's very small, you're just going to burn out and you're not going to be able to then get up and fight again for anything. Rebecca Solnit, she's written this book called Hope in the Dark, which talks exactly about that. She's studied different movements and things. And that's her argument that you do need to see how far you've come, even from like 30 years ago to, you know, the sort of conversations that we're having now. But you also have to acknowledge your privilege. You also have to be aware that all these things that, you know, you've gained, only a very small percent of the population has gained or a small percent of your gender has gained, there's still a lot more to be done. But you do need to like sit down and say that, okay, a happy thing has happened, I'm allowed to be happy and just feel your feels, you know. (laughs) And just this all-pervasive male gaze everywhere is so exhausting. So like speaking of like, you know, just being on your period and stuff, there's like such in media and in science fiction and fantasy and everything largely just like in society there's such an erasure of women's bodily functions because what they're gross you don't want to see anything that reminds you that women are human beings so like let's let's (laughs) pretend that they bleed blue blood and they have no (laughs) armpit hair like let's pretend that they're just like robot zombies (laughs) it's it's exhausting it's just exhausting being a woman (laughs) exhausting i wanted to talk a little bit about violence against women i'm taking depressing topics and making them more depressing but like uh just again women being the default victims of course you see that in media you see that in like the things we read the things that we watch but just most recently this whole nonsense about riya chakrabarti oh my Sushant Singh Rajput in India. So just to like give people who don't know what's going on in India, which is we have a fascist government currently, but what's going on more recently in terms of Rhea and Sushant. So there's a Bollywood actor who killed himself recently. He's been depressed for a few years now. This was in the middle of the pandemic as well, where a lot of people's mental health, including mine, has just fallen off the cliff. So it could have been such an opportunity to talk about mental health and depression and you know a community and support but instead everybody the government the criminal justice system the media random people on my facebook profile who are no longer on my facebook profile decided that the fault actually is his girlfriends because or ex-girlfriends i'm not sure of the details who's Rhea chakrabarti and 
there was such a witch hunt in like in the very medieval european kind of way where everybody you know sort of assassinated her character everyone was obsessed about this and not about like obviously it was the government trying to distract everybody from the pandemic from the economy from everything being privatized from people being killed from people being arrested all of it was a distraction and people fell for it yeah, yeah absolutely and i read somewhere that that somebody was saying that the amount of like agencies that were put behind trying to find something on her if they were looking into you me or aparna we they would have found something they would have found something on anybody if they looks that deeply at anybody we've all done something that is yeah because she eventually got arrested for what for smoking 15. weed right yes yeah. or and, like and, buying weed yeah yeah for being in possessions <laughs> this is really funny tweet that i read when this was happening is that it was funny and very very sad and i'm paraphrasing because i don't particularly remember the exact words so it says that under the current government shiva would have been arrested for like possession and somebody replied to that saying no he wouldn't have parvati would have been arrested for giving it to him <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was so sad and also so true. <laughs> no, so this you know Riya's hounding it reminded me so much of Harry's like sort of the trial that he goes through in the Order of the Phoenix. Again, this is because I have like short term memory. I'm reading this book currently, which is why I'm making all these connections. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would not have been able to identify these things. But you know, even in Harry Potter in the Order of the Phoenix, where the government. the criminal justice system the school system media society everybody is against him for not wanting to believe him and like of course he has the privilege of being a man and all in that society but still and like coming back to riya like i've read tweets and things about how riya she is this upper caste hindu woman in india her father is in the military i think or was in the military mm. she has all these privileges she is like in bollywood she has all these privileges and she is being treated like that so everybody else should be really scared because mm-hmm. you know the fewer privileges that you have the easier it is to just not have people not care about you right yeah but going back to violence against women and this particularly brings up this one episode in grey's anatomy in which joe was dealing with a, a rape victim who comes in and i just i just wept through that episode like i just i have never seen it took so long that for me to see an episode in which a victim of rape was the whole thing was portrayed with such honesty that it was just i just i just that episode was really something yeah and the hallway of women right yes. like where she yeah, where she yeah, it was see another man yeah so the woman who's been raped it's just happened and she can't bear the sight of a man yet so the intern or not the intern the resident she's no longer an intern the doctor decides to sort of get the help of all the women in the hospital not yeah. just the doctors and the nurses but everybody who works in the hospital and create a hallway that blocks off all the doors and the windows and just creates this sort of supportive hallway of women you know yeah. just being there and like they don't most of them don't know why they're there they're just, but they just because they need, they were need it was a very strong image and even the fact that they explain the rights to her and say that if you don't want to follow this through or see 
but in case you at some point change your mind you should have everything you can to you know battle it to get justice of what you were done when rape is portrayed or like when violence against women is portrayed in like even real life scenarios i'm not talking about sci-fi and stuff that's a wholly different thing but uh, even then you don't really get to see what the important bits of it like the victim is just the victim and then gets pushed aside and there's this whole thing that unfolds but this was so focused on how that one woman was feeling it was a very strong thing but Grey's Anatomy in general I think does a really good job in terms of like recent seasons like they've last two seasons for example they've really upped their yeah but just even right from the beginning like it's a giant soap opera people get killed by like falling off planes and like bombs and you know it's like there's lots of this like completely but I've been watching it for what now nearly since when it had started so like what it's like 16 years now so it's like a good chunk of my life that I've been watching this show but even in the beginning like you know in terms of the cast in terms of who's at the leadership positions in terms of who has agency and who has power women have always played a role there and now it's becoming increasingly diverse as well so you have like women who are Muslim or a transgender man or you have like disabled women and you know like women of different races and things so it's becoming increasingly diverse and like yeah the last few seasons have tackled yeah. more overtly political themes as well yeah it's, yeah. it's great now that I'm becoming more used to thinking about these things and also becoming more used to having media or looking out for media that has a better representation of women. So then when I go back and look at other media for the first time, like the other day Jack and I, we were watching this new show called Lost Girl. It's not a new show, it's new to me. And he had watched it before and like, you know, he just thought that I'd like it. And it was a fun show, but what stood out to me because I had just come off of watching Grey's Anatomy and like, I was like, all these people are really thin and they're really <laughs> like very conventionally attractive and they're all white and they're all, it's a very definitive idea of being a woman and I'm like, hmm. So, and then I like, I said this to Jack and Jack is like, but that's all media, which I guess is true because Bollywood is the same, right? Like you have to be fair skin if you're dark skin that has caste class regional implications like like you'll be South Indian or whatever you'll be from a Dalit or Adivasi background or whatever but once you get used to better it's very difficult then to let mediocre get past you you know yeah yeah absolutely it's this dominant view of women is I'm, I'm going to use Disney as an example but it extends to everything it's just this unrealistic standards of whatever your personality be like but this is what you should look like in fact there was an analysis analysis of all the faces of all the characters of the Disney movies from Snow White onwards and they had sketched out the faces and all of the women had the same face structure, the same small nose, big eyes, high cheekbones, pointy chin, whereas there was so much variety in the way the male characters looked. I read this excerpt of an interview with the head of Disney Animation at some point, who said that it was difficult to animate women's faces because they have to look pretty at all angles and through all expressions. So not only do you have to add expressions to them, you see, you also have to make them look pretty when they're angry. You also have to like let them remain pretty while being angry or sad or happy or confused very confused much of the time they will be confused because no but they can be ugly if they're evil they can be old and ugly but then they're like the bad person yeah and even fatness 
you know this is again something that i have only recently started thinking about these things just the way that media portrays so that's why you know when i was watching law school i was like these are all very thin people like of all the people that i know most women don't look like this i don't look like this it's, it's just like media has and it's like you were saying sana it doesn't just affect people who are not like that like you know when we learn from these different identities but also our own sense of self right like in terms of different body sizes and all i know like that's a very basic thing but fat activism and stuff that's what they talk about and this is again something that i've been reading and learning about more recently about how when you're like a fat person you seem to be up for public consumption and you know like people will make comments about your health they'll not see you as a person who is equal who should get equal respect and deserves the same amount of dignity than any other people do and like a lot of people they've spoken about like things that i've read and stuff they talk about how fatness doesn't necessarily have to do with health as well even like some of our favorite media you know like avatar or and with an e or the marvel movies like disney movies doctor who whatever all the women there there might be one or two curves maybe somewhere in the background but most of them are like really like thin conventionally attractive not like my body at all <laughs> like you know there's nobody who looks like me on it in terms of size and yeah. it's just such a limited idea that limits your own imagination as well yeah and going back to the disney things aparna was talking about how the face shape was very similar so when we were having one of our previous discussions you guys mentioned disney and so i was like let me like look and there was one paper and i never got through reading the whole paper but there is this one interesting bit where they had done this categorization of the jobs that women have had in the disney movies and the jobs that men have had but in that they found that the male characters over 16 different films there were 26 job categories that the male characters had whereas there were only four women categories where they had out of home employment where they went outside the home and it which was an actress sheep tender thief and a fairy and it was just I was like what and then they also examined like the depiction of in home labor and there were 24 examples of women performing domestic tasks whereas there were only four examples of men performing domestic tasks and two of them were from the butlers in aristocrat that is how much the agency given to women in like the disney films yeah and things that are completely normal for all humans are given such a disproportionate screen time in most of the media that we consume whether it's like housework or whether it's occupying public spaces on the other hand something that i wanted to talk about was how masturbation is depicted so i was hearing this interview of phoebe wallobridge it was an npr interview and her show in the very first episode has a scene of masturbation and what she said was that it was funny how shocking it was like it was some big secret and how it's represented as so normal for men like especially in comedies it's shown as such a routine of something that they just it's almost a daily occurrence and they just have to get on with it but for women it's seen as some deeply selfish transgressive thing and it brings me back to what you said about the erasure of women's bodily functions and how it's like women taking pleasure in anything is seen as something very subversive but it's not it's normal it's a human trait to do that and even 
sex, you know, the male gaze comes the way that sex is put it in the way that women orgasm and sex seems like, oh yeah, penetration happens, oh, instant orgasm. <laughs> that, you know, that's how sex works. And it really Mm. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't work like that. And it's something that you are conditioned so much that you feel like I spent so many years just thinking there was something wrong with me. So that's not what was happening because I was like, Are penetration happens, orgasm nahi hua. So, you know, like, why is this not working? And it's like, if you only have this very fixed idea of just even like, I mean, no, not even fixed idea. There's no consideration given only to women's pleasures, how women's bodies work how women's anything works it's just we need to get this story thing but the man's story is more important or we don't need to actually research what sex for women is like it's okay whatever like this works for men so it might as well work for women again it's quite a superficial thing but it all adds up right it's all a part of what being a woman in the world is and if it's just such a male-centric view of being a woman then it's so much more difficult to unlearn that even as a woman who thinks about these things yeah so I was looking at popular culture and sometime back we were talking about how you know there's always like this Brahminical society and stuff and so recently we were doing a comic on women past breakers in India and I had not heard of any of these women any of these women and I think I only heard of Anna Mani because I had read a picture book on her otherwise I had no idea of any of these women and it was so sad that we didn't study these women nobody told us about these women the first story is about Pandita Ramabai and it starts with which sort of just stayed with me that whole thing that that is what we've been battling is that the story goes that her father was this understudy of this Brahmin teacher who would teach like Sanskrit verses and stuff to like the royals and he was at this place where he was teaching a Peshwa wife and like it was being done in closed things so that nobody could see like a woman reciting Sanskrit verses but he was standing on the side and it's from his point of view when he's looking at it and saying that this woman seems to be reciting the Sanskrit verses pretty well have the Brahmins been lying to us that women don't even have the capability to learn so the Brahmin men also grew up with or the society grew up with being told that women don't even possess the ability to study or learn Sanskrit verses and stuff and so as an experiment he went back to try and teach his wife and mother-in-law like wife particularly and they of course laughed him off and say what is wrong with you will be thrown out of society which eventually did happen because when he did finally try he was thrown out of society along with his family then I went up and started looking at biopics made on women in the last like couple of years and a lot of them were a lot of the famous stories like you know like the sports stories like Mary Com's story was told but it was told when she was when she had just won and she had just gained some popularity and so let's quickly make one whereas we told Milka Singh's story which was like a story from history we are not telling a P.T. Usha story we are choosing to tell Milka Singh's story but we are doing Mary Com because she's popular right now She's current. Even the wrestler sisters in Dangal, their story was also told when they had just become popular. And we are not telling stories of like the past, like we are not telling Pandita Ramabai's story. And even Savitri Bai Phule's story is, is a Kannada film, one Kannada film that exists, which is her story. 
I feel like there is some role for content creators to play in terms to break and or reinforce stereotypes and to tell these stories because they are full of drama. They are really full of drama. They deserve being told if that's what we are missing. They are full of a lot of like angst and a lot of struggles and they deserve to be told. So like what are we missing? So Yeah, and also just like in history, we don't learn these things like Savitri Bhai Fule, she's from Maharashtra and she is the first first woman teacher in India yeah. and she was yeah. also a Dalit woman yeah. and we don't learn about the Dalit womanness. like yeah. we learn history marching the way Professor Bins in Harry Potter teaches in Hogwarts yeah. teaches history where you know goblin rebellions and goblin riots the references are scattered through yeah. and it could be so much like that's something that like what you said Sana was something Harry said that oh this could have been so exciting in anybody else's hands but Professor <laughs> Bins yeah. just like drives you to a stupor and I think in India or in other parts of the world as well, like history is being deliberately used to drive the sense of complacency within the population. If history is taught in such a boring way, if Pandita Ramabai, Savitri Bhai Phule, they're just names that you have to learn with the dates yeah. and, you know, learn what they did just in a sentence without understanding the context of the social, cultural, political context then and now, then you'll just, you'll fall asleep in the class like how you do yeah. in the history of magic classroom and you're yeah. not going to and make it, these connections. Exactly. And it broke so many like notions I had formed of popular men from history, like Lokmanya Tilak and stuff like all we've learned of him as this Bal Gangadhar Tilak, great freedom fighter and stuff. But his views on women were like atrocious to say the least. And then I narrated everything to like my dad and he also holds these people in great esteem. And it was just that we've been told history so in such a wrong way, like even C.V. Raman, who is a man of science, you know, treated the women in his lab pretty badly like they were like made to not go out in public spaces because they would distract the men and they could not rest in the garden so they would sleep under their tables while doing science experiments but the men could like lounge around wherever they wanted because they would disturb like it's just like some of the stories that came forth during the research and stuff which is like heartbreaking because these are people like you're like oh so cool this scientist person when you first read about C.V. Raman and then you realize that there's a these underlying parts of where they were in society at this time and that history is not told as a whole like to re- keep reinforcing the same thing and not tell not portray the real bits of how these stories unfolded it was quite heartbreaking to see because in terms of men you can be both like good at some things and bad at other things yeah. like you're a human being you know you don't need to be a perfect person in fact like I would treat a perfect person with a lot of suspicion because you're not learning anything then if you're this perfect person yeah. if you go and look at women or trans women or trans men or non-binary folks that gets so much more invisible if you see like women in history we are such a token in itself largely like you know we're there for token diversity points in most history textbooks and in most history or we're only there in terms of our relationships to the men in history but if you look at like in schools when do you ever study about anyone from like other parts of the gender spectrum like you know it's something that I've only discovered recently like even what cis and trans means and what non-binary means and it's through my own research and through my own, you know, like it's because something I'm interested in. But why wouldn't you want to make this an educational thing? Because it is an educational thing yeah. for available and accessible to everybody right from when they're really young. 
Yeah, and just bringing up the role content creators create. This just reminds me of this paper and this discussion that Aparna had at AFCC in Singapore, where they were talking about how the role of the editor plays in breaking gender stereotypes in general or stereotypes in general in children's books. Yeah, so I'm an editor at a publishing house that publishes picture books. Every editor will have their notions of what kind of books they want to see or what sort of things they stand for. And what I quickly realized that me and the person I work with was we believed very strongly about certain things. Every picture book that came to us had the mother in the kitchen and the father reading a newspaper. And these are things that are so, they are so entrenched. So just a small suggestion to an illustrator or an author that if we could reverse this, those sort of things would just make them very excited about it. Or sometimes we receive pushback about, but this is what I see in my house, which is fair enough. People will draw what they see, but then we get stuck in this cycle of this is what we see and this is what we publish. And then that's what we see in books and that's what we see at home. And that's the only normal that anybody ever knows. But the fact is that some key decisions of when we are showing a busy street to populate the public spaces with like equal gender representation in public spaces or share of household chores in our books and since picture book readers are such a young audience that's something that they won't question at all and if they see it in their books that they're reading it's something that can go a long way to making them question or making them wonder how the society is structured and those are the sort of conversations that we had a lot with authors and illustrators and we still do I feel like it makes a big difference to seeing these things. This is something that I am also guilty of because like we said earlier, we grew up reading so many books that just had boys in it or whatever stories we would thereby make up would have boy characters in it. And all of the animals in our stories were always a male gender animal. And it takes so much undoing to change that and just conversations with authors and illustrators to make them probably think of it in a slightly different manner makes a world of a difference. Sometimes the only reason that it isn't a representation of something is that they haven't thought of it. So as editors, just these sort of conversations and just having conversations about the motivations of all the extra characters, not the protagonist necessarily, but how the other people in the book are goes a long way to changing the way they think about their stories as well. Yeah, like anybody who creates media, it is such an important important responsibility for us to especially people who create children's media to make sure that you're questioning your own biases and your own assumptions and not reflecting the terrible things that the inequalities that society is rife with like you know you can imagine a different world and you can show a different world and in many different pockets of society this different world does exist you just need to make it more mainstream but that's one of the reasons why like social media and fan fiction like i love these spaces i'm a very online person and I love how much I learn from these spaces because you get to access perspectives and experiences about different experiences of being a woman and this makes up for mainstream entertainment and news media structural inequalities. So Rebecca Solnit in her book The Mother of All Questions she wrote this which I thought was really pertinent to this point like she made the point much better than I could. So this is what she said. If the right to speak if having credibility if being heard is a kind of wealth that that wealth is now being redistributed 
there has long been an elite with audibility and credibility, an underclass of the voiceless. As the wealth is redistributed, the stunned incomprehension of the elites erupts over and over again. A fury and disbelief that this woman or child dared to speak up, that people deign to believe her, that her voice counts for something, that her truth may end a powerful man's reign. These voices heard append power relations, which I think just sums up like the potential of social media and even fandom spaces and fandom conversations that you're challenging what you took for granted all this while. Absolutely. And it sort of leveled the playing field in a way that nothing else could. Because of the power of social media or the internet, it's just been adopted so many times into the mainstream. There are Twitter pitches for books and so many people who otherwise would not have had access to publishers or wouldn't know how to go about breaking into this very strange business of publishing have gotten deals out of a Twitter pitch. And the internet is such a democratic place in that sense like people have access to internet I mean not everyone does but it's a lot more widespread than say the knowledge of how to approach a publishing house and like writers for very very mainstream comedy shows have been hired off of based on their tweets like we ourselves find a lot of illustrators for our books on Instagram because if a story is set in the northeast we want somebody from the northeast so we found some of our favorite illustrators on Instagram because there isn't a strong network of how to go about it in the more formal or traditional ways of approaching people and it's so refreshing to see what voices are coming up like shows like Broad City it was a YouTube show and then it was picked up and made into a mainstream show and luckily diversity is so buzzy that it's something that it's selling so the mainstream is buying it which is great. I mean it's still an unsafe place for people for women yeah but also for women from more marginalized backgrounds and for trans women and for non-binary people as empowering and as amazing the internet is it also leaves you more open to toxicity and to hatred but I love that I have currently been learning like I follow trans people in India on Twitter and on Instagram or you know Dalit activists so like Divya Khanduri and Priyanka Paul are two people that I really like on Instagram who are constantly challenging my own assumptions about caste and about being a Dalit woman online and then we also read about Khabar Lehria which is a newspaper that began in a village from what I remember and it trained women in rural areas to be journalists who printed the local news in their local languages and diversified not just who tells the stories but also what kind of stories are told and how they're told and while they started off as a you know print newspaper who used to get women to also distribute these newspapers as well now they've done successfully what a lot of big traditional news organizations haven't been able to do that is transition digitally so they share the news on like facebook whatsapp youtube twitter and well tiktok until the government decided <laughs> chinese apps are no longer welcome in india but you know i think that's so fantastic because we in the cities we also tend to have a hermione kind of idea of a lot of women from different backgrounds which it is our fault but it's also not our fault because that's the society that we grow up in and like just having access to these different voices is so empowering for both so liberating for both that they are allowed to say their stories in the way that they want and we are allowed to learn from them 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So now, what are some of your favorite non-binary, genderqueer, gender non-conforming characters in media? Alex from Magnus Chase. Yeah. Who else have I met? What did you like about them, about Alex Fierro? So for me, it was, I think it was the first time I was encountering a character. I think the way Magnus interacted with Alex and the way their interactions, their conversations developed, like I would look forward to their conversations or their interactions because I thought it was very like very nicely done. Yeah, and I mean, it's normalized it, but also educated, but not in a way that made education a point. Yes, exactly. Yeah, which is why it was interesting to see it from Magnus's point of view, because it was probably my point of view also to an extent, because he was also in the beginning, like understanding. And then he went on to, you know, like there were there were a lot of questions in the beginning. And as the books developed, it just became a lot more easy to like the development of the their relationship was very interesting to see. Yeah, and I like that, like even before he wrote the book, he knew that it was going to be popular because he's insanely popular. This Rick Riordan and the fact that the main character of the book and this was the main, well, not just a love interest, but the fact that Alex was the main love interest of the main character of a book that was insanely popular. I think that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) And it's also influenced children because recently I'd read a tweet about, and I think he retweeted it, Rick Riordan had retweeted it, about how somebody sat down with either their child or their nephew or niece to like explain pronouns to them to talk yeah. to them about pronouns because if I think somebody that they knew or whatever and they were like oh yeah so like low-case children they're uh, you know gender fluid so like what pronouns do they prefer oh they okay got it and this person who tweeted was like oh my god these tiny things that kids yeah. pick up no, on but, which you are but not but it is true it's just also it's broadened like I also feel which which I hope like nobody like uh, throws stones at my house for this but I also feel like Vishnu is like gender fluid oh interesting That's a great theory. So my answer to your question, Paru, is like in canon, Shira is this queer normative is a word that I learned today. So like the opposite of heteronormative world, which has a lot of gender non-conforming characters and non-binary character as well. So I just love Shira's world. But I also love that fans are just like Sana. I don't know, fan would be the correct thing, but like reader interpretation of Vishnu. So I loved it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what fan. Vishnu fan. Yeah, like a Vishnu fan girl who is interpreting Vishnu as gender fluid. But I've encountered him so much in research and work that I just feel like I've read so much about and so many different versions of stories and stories that I feel like it just makes complete sense that he's Vishnu gender- X. But Sana thing. <laughs> but like, I love that how people take ownership of these characters that either they know a lot or they love a lot. So Tonks, Nymphadora Tonks from Harry Potter, which a lot of people see as either gender non-conforming or trans or non-binary. And basically they're reading themselves into this character, you know. So if you don't have these representations in media or in like Harry Potter where you have very few representations, then Anyway, like in terms of diversity, but you love the world enough and you love the characters enough that you are making it more progressive and by that like adopting this character and making that character more progressive than they were otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And what about you, Aparna? Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for us to ask you. Yes, I was. 
portrayed within the play and also in the way that the characters reacted, reacted to the way they were being portrayed it's nice. so it really would be a bit like vishnu coming here and like reacting to your gender fluid theory <laughs> oh my good lord i am indeed i decide so noticing after all this You know what, but do tell us who yes. your favorite. So I was building up to Steven Universe. I could spend a whole episode talking about Steven Universe, but I'm going to quickly say why I like it. So a lot of the characters are technically not women; they are gems. They are crystal gems. So they are actually, I guess, sentient rocks. I'm not <laughs> sure, but they present as women, and just the. diversity in any form that you want is available whether it is diversity in sexual orientation there's diversity in body type there's diversity in just the different personalities there's just this whole cast of just fascinating well written well rounded women which is one of the most refreshing things that i have ever seen also what's interesting is that the main character is steven who's a child and who's a boy who's often the the most emotional or the most sensitive in the group and that is something that's celebrated as a power of his and just these traditionally looked at as feminine qualities to have them present in a boy and have them being placed at a pedestal of like these are the qualities that matter and these qualities mean a lot and these qualities are something to aspire to and not be little or being too emotional is not a weakness and those sort of narratives run throughout the series and it's quite a delight and it has imperfect mothers and it's just a celebration of teamwork and love and hope and it's a delightful show i recommend it to everyone it also has on the flip side fathers who are nurturing and well the father of the main character who is just a nurturing not fussed about being the only man in a group of women is often the person on the sidelines and is very happy to be so it's just an amazing show That's- i think and i think noel stevenson would agree that steven universe boxed so that shira could fly because <laughs> all of these things that you're saying like that what i love about shira like i think there's obviously been a lot of inspiration and the fact that there's not just room for one noel stevenson very much pointed to steven universe and said like look if they can do this why can't we and which is why it's such a fantastic world and which is why we need more of these fantastic yeah and so if you watch also... shira i'll watch steven universe okay done and i also <laughs> wanted to say how diverse the cast is because in one interview the person who plays one of the characters called pearl the actor his name is didi and she was talking about how she went into audition and she met another actor who also happens to be asian and she's like oh no that means i didn't get the part or has there been some mix up because they can't possibly be two asian women voicing main characters in the show <laughs> but it was and she's like when i realized that it was i was like i found my home i'm in the right place so that was very sweet but also sad i guess now this brings us to our last section what if returning what if what if what if <laughs> i did a thing yeah i saw in song so yeah that's the theme song for our what if uh, section apparently keeps that. changing every time yeah. we do this segment that's the magic of what if what if yes. have uh, a theme, theme song the same theme song what like if the theme song changes next time what if yeah, but think just to 
Now, I want you guys to think about what are the things that we would be concerned as women in some of our favorite fandoms if we were right there. What if we were right there? Okay. In the middle. Okay, whatever comes to your mind first. I don't want like these great things. We all know what can happen. Okay. Women in general. <laughs> but let's begin with something that both of you watch and I don't watch much of. Supernatural. We'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be dead. Very violently killed. We'd be dead and not resurrected as opposed to many of the other men who've been dead several times and have always managed to find their way back to the main cast or record. And we'd be killed to further either Dean or Sam or maybe Castiel's story. Yes. Alright. Women not faring so well in the supernatural world. Moving on. How would you fare on Serenity in the Firefly world? I remember that there was a really complicated social system wherein Inara who was a prostitute was the highest rank. Most respected. Most respected profession and I need to unpack it a little more but I feel like I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. I think because I'm brown, I wouldn't be there. Huh. Hmm. Sure. Sorry to bring race into the video. No, no, bring whatever you want. You bring it. <laughs> this is off the top of your heads anyway. So, all right, all right. What if you were part of like the resistance in Star Wars? Oh. Oh. I mean, we'd have to fight for which of us gets to be the one woman in the resistance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that so, what if you were one of the Marvel superheroes? Uncomfortable clothes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Lots of veggies. Not conceal weapons. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, I don't think we would ever get to lead like a team to save the world. We would be there. Second in command types, but... I mean, if we did lead a team, then we would get a lot of hate tweets from angry fanboys on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Alright, what if you were on the TARDIS? Oh. We would be there only until we were a certain age. And in which case, we would be very politely like <laughs> either abandoned or... Or killed off or memory will be wiped sent back to the past yeah all right tardis not faring that well for us <laughs> women folk now okay. what about middle earth what if you were in middle earth Ooh. i would either be very very powerful or invisible <laughs> <laughs> or growing potatoes <laughs> like waiting for that sam that is sam yeah, yeah. <laughs> I either have to be the most powerful or nothing at all. I will be lost in the crowd. Well, women not faring that well in Middle Earth either. (laughs) What if you were in Gotham? Were there, sorry to interrupt, were there any female ants? Does anybody remember? No, I don't. They were none. Please. I mean, there were a hand. I think I could count the number of women on my left. You would not be an ant. You would not be an orc. You would not be. Or, you would not. Or a hobbit. <laughs> you would. Oh, no. Samwise does marry a girl. So there's that compulsive Congratulations. <laughs> married Samwise. <laughs> I mean, Frodo and Sam obviously needed to end together, but like, whatever. Yeah, but Frodo decided to like float away, so. Anyway. uh, He had seen too much, okay, Sana? After this pandemic, I would love to find an elf ship to float to the the other end of the sea or whatever. I feel your pain. All right. What if you were in Basing Se? Oh. Oh. I'm starting to like this, like, commentator voice. <laughs> Game show host voice. What would I do in Basin Se? I, I think I would need to come from 
an important family to marry. Like if I was a cabbage seller's daughter, I would just be going chasing cabbages from everywhere. And, you know, yeah. Probably hidden under like the car. Like a small tea shop or something. I was imagining running a small tea yeah, shop. Yeah, you just because you wanted to work under Uncle Iroh. <laughs> All right, and my last on the list is in Gotham City. Oh, dead. <laughs> no, no, I would join the what's it called? What is the new female feminist collective in Gotham City? Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. I would join Birds. Feminist, feminist collective. Hello, we are a feminist collective. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> well, on that note, then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us in this section of what if and what if. Ending. This brings us to the end of our episode. On that note. Thank you so much for listening to us wax miracle about all the problems that we have with women representation in the world. Yeah. Until next time. Bye. 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 You've been listening to our episode on the representation of marginalized genders in mainstream media, both entertainment and news, as well as in the real world. Thank you so much Sanjana and Aparna for talking about and listening to so many of the things I'm most interested in. Our conversations have helped make me a better thinker and helped make my politics more inclusive. I'd love to hear from you and talk to you. So any feedback, comments or critiques are very welcome. Get in touch with me on social media, leave a comment on my blog or email me at edps@leads.ac.uk. If you'd like to follow the podcast or the PhD project, visit my website marginallyfanish.org where you'll find both the podcast episodes and the blog. You can also receive updates on Facebook or Instagram at marginally fanish or on Twitter where I'm marginal fanish. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with anyone you think will enjoy it too. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next time for all things fanish and intersectional.